The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We have been for the last little bit preaching through the Gospel of Luke, and we're now in chapter 16. Um, we preached Luke 15 for Christmas for our Christmas time, and um, I will review a little bit of that as we're kind of getting into Luke 16. But Luke 16... Verses 1 to 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Here's what I'm going to do for us. I'm, I'm going to read the parable that this is a, based around because it's based around a parable. I'm going to pray, and then we'll start kind of talking through this together. Luke 16, I'm going to read verses 1, 1 to 7. We're going to be looking at all 18 verses here, and then we'll pray. He, that is Jesus, Jesus also said to his disciples, so this is after the last parables, we'll talk about that in a second. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn, into the, turn in the account of your management, for, I no longer, for you can no longer be my manager. And his manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, you may receive, you, they may receive you into their eternal dwellings. Father, as we look at this passage and consider how to learn from this dishonest manager, would you help us to grow in shrewdness, whatever that means? Would you help us to grow in eagerness for you? Would you help us to see what Jesus is holding before us? So it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, before I get into talking about Luke 15, I want to kind of frame this along the lines of um, movie sequels. Has anybody, anybody got a favorite sequel? Like you've got Batman and then Batman Returns. I'm talking about the original Batman and then Batman Returns. Anybody got like a favorite sequel that like actually was good? Because that's, that's kind of the problem with sequels, right? Is they tend to be kind of lame and not nearly as good as the original. Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. Oh, okay. Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Oh, it's fantastic. Man, you guys are pulling out some classics here. Anybody else? I'm sorry? Humble one, two. So, me personally, right, having just been through the, the winter season or the Christmas season, I personally prefer Home Alone 2 to Home Alone, the original. Not because the original is not a classic, but because the gags are so much better. I mean, is it Joe Pesci with his head lit on fire? I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> so, 
Luke 15 and Luke 16 are basically, you know, first movie, second movie, sequels, and we tend to kind of separate them, and as I've been working through this passage this week, it struck me that what's going on in Luke 15 is kind of picked up. The best way to write a sequel, right, is to kind of pick up on a a small little detail from the first movie and then expand it, right? So if you have a good movie, you kind of pick up on some emotional center from the first one, and you do it in the second one. In Luke 15, the whole premise of Luke 15 is Jesus is talking about his kingdom of grace. He's talking about here is what the kingdom of grace means. It is the God's unending, never stopping, always and forever grace for others that offends the religious sensibilities of the people around him and ultimately creates a situation where the people who seem least deserving are the ones who are welcomed into God's heart and the ones who look all the religious trappings of going to church, wearing the right things, giving the right money, they're on the outside. And Jesus picks up on some of this emotional dynamic from the story of the prodigal son, and he expands on that in Luke 16. We have in Luke 16 as a dishonest manager, and kind of in a situation similar to a mob boss, who gets hoisted out, and then Jesus turns to us and says, I want you to be like this dishonest manager. <laughs> and you can kind of see that like, okay, like, I know that stealing's wrong, it's, so what am I supposed to learn from this? I think what we're going to see here as we learn, work through this is that Jesus is, in a sense, training us how to view the world around us, and specifically this story, to feel an urgency, a need for the grace that we need from him, and how to then see the world around us as lessons on experiencing deeper grace in Him. So, what I want to do is say a main point here, and then we'll kind of pick up here in verses 1 to 9. The main point, I think, of what's going on here is to learn to find grace in the world to help you grow as a child of light. I think if you're not a Christian, uh, this is a helpful way to think through what is Jesus calling me to? Is Jesus calling me to completely separate from the world around me and burn my CDs and all that sort of stuff? Or is he calling me to a way of understanding myself and him? And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is an invitation to understand that the world is not a dirty, nasty place that he's called you to be a child of light, somebody who loves grace, and then is able to see other people around you as illustrations or parables of what it means to experience and yearn for more grace. So, verses 1 to 9, we're going to see finding grace in the world. These are not going to be rocket science head, you know, sub points. So we've read this parable, and I want to frame this like, any good heist movie. Anybody a fan of, I mean, I feel like, is it Sotenberg's Ocean's Eleven? is probably one of the greatest movies ever made. One of my favorite movies of all time. But the premise of the movie is basically you have people that are trying to steal from other people who are stealing from other people, right? That's the, the premise of the movie, right? Nobody in the movie is terribly good, right? You have Danny Ocean, who's a thief, a master thief, who's trying to steal from a guy who runs three casinos, not a great guy either. That's basically what's going on in this parable. You have the 
manager or the, the boss, the master. And at the time, in the ancient world, that master would have been somebody who would have universally been understood to be a terrible person, right? This is the guy who comes around in the ancient world. Taxes and money were very much kind of ways of oppressing and, uh, and gaining status, oppressing other people, taking not merely like whatever the 2% is that they owed for such, such and such, but they'd add a few more percentage points to kind of like pad their own wallet. So everybody just universally knew that this is a terrible person, and then his manager was basically the enforcer. So think of like a mob boss and an enforcer. And the manager that's in this parable that we're kind of focusing in on was the enforcer that went around and collected the money. And basically, this guy says, um, it says that he was, uh, a, the accusation came, right, the rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him, verse 1, that this man was wasting his possessions, right? This is actually the exact same phrase from Luke 15 about the prodigal son, right? When he gets his father's wealth and he goes out, he goes out and lives in what's called, right, wasteful living. It depends on whatever translation you're using, right? Reckless living. You, you get the idea. He goes to Vegas and has a great time, right? That's kind of the idea. And similar to that, Jesus is saying, so let's just say that there's another mob boss who's got a manager who's also kind of living off and going, having a great time in Vegas. And he gets back to the mob boss and he's kind of like, all right, we're kind of cutting deals here. So the, so the manager and the way to be, on, on his way to basically hand over the books cuts a deal with all these other people who owe money so that, as it says in verse uh, 3, right? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm not, and I'm ashamed to beg. Verse four, basically, I'm trying to find a place to live after I get cut off. Are we tracking here? Am I cool? I'm just making sure I'm not jumping around too much. It's fascinating to me is that basically he's defrauded his master, and then he's like, I'm about to lose my job, so let me defraud him some more so that I have a place to live with all these people after I get cut out. That's basically the parable, right? It, it's not necessarily a good guy, right? We, we're not supposed to read this and be like, that dishonest manager, real upstanding citizen, moral example for all of us to follow. He is basically defrauding from the beginning to end, but Jesus finds within his example of his, the way he's operating, something that he wants us to focus in on. So when we get to here to verse um, 8, the master commended the dishonest manager. Now, the way that reads in our translations is it seems like what we were saying the mob boss is commending the dishonest manager. That's one way to read it, but it gets kind of confusing because you're like, um, you've just defrauded me, so I've fired you, and now you've defrauded me more, and now I'm commending you? Like, what? That doesn't just. I think when we read that, we're just kind of like, I guess Jesus. I, I, I guess it's just kind of like one of those, like, Jesus, you tell a story. I guess I have to believe you. I think what's actually going on here is when it says the master, we should capitalize the M there to mean the master as in the Lord Jesus. Basically, the story ends at verse 7, and then verse 8 begins his sort of movie critic interpretation of the story. So that when we read verse 8... It says, the, dis, 
the master or the Lord commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. It makes more sense if Jesus is commenting on the story than kind of the master or the mob boss in the story making this point because like he's defrauding people left and right and he's now been defrauded. Why would he now kind of come, like, come out of the story and comment on it? So it seems to make more sense when Jesus is commenting on it. By the way, if you have any questions, uh, the Q&A number comes to my phone. We do that after our sermons. Um, happy to answer anything that you have questions on. So I think what Jesus is doing here is he is basically saying there's something going on with this uh, dishonest manager that I want you to focus in on. And there's a sense in which I think what Jesus is focusing in on is this guy's panic of serving himself. Right? He realizes, I'm about to lose my job, and I'm about to lose my livelihood. I have no way of providing for myself. What do I do? Like this internal panic, and then the action that he takes to preserve his life, to provide for himself, to kind of manipulate the situation. I think that, sign of, that internal panic we can all relate to, like, OMG, what do I do? That type of thing. That's the, the place where Jesus says, this guy is actually a great illustration of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. To yearn for God's kingdom. So, with that in mind, we're going to drop here to verse 10 to 18. What I want to do here is I want to, I want to work through 10 to 18, and then we're going to kind of step back from the story and just kind of make some observations about what Jesus is doing. So 10 to, eight, 10 to 18. So finding grace, we're seeing that in this parable, there's something about this guy in this panic to provide for himself that Jesus is focusing in on. So verse 10 to 18, spending grace in the world. One who is faithful in very little is faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. If you have been, not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? If you have not been faithful in what the, that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, what we're going to do here in a second is verse 14, the Pharisees come back into view. And the Pharisees are the people that Jesus has been telling all these parables at. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, uh, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For whatever is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is, of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and, the, and he who marries a woman divorces, divorced from her husband commits adultery. So if you've been confused up to this point, welcome to the club, because it's more confusing now, isn't it? 
you're like, I, this is one of those things where I'm like, I'm trying to trying to figure out a way to kind of navigate through this because it seems just kind of like this mishmash of all these like random statements from Jesus. And you're like, well, I guess Jesus, you can say whatever you want because you're Jesus. But like, I don't really understand what's going on here. All right. What I want to remind us of and kind of walk through this in the ancient world, money was the source of status and power. And it was how you basically pushed other people down and how you raised yourself up. Everybody okay with the... Man, it is very cool. All right. It is how, money was how you pushed people down and how you raised yourself up. And what Jesus is then focusing on is he says... If you're in the kingdom of grace, you cannot use grace to push other people down and raise yourself up because that's, that's not what grace is. Grace is God's presence with you, his favor upon you, and you can't use that to manipulate other people. So you can either serve the power structure of this world and use money to raise yourself up and push other people down, or you can use it as a way of lifting people up and coming down to other people. And so... The Pharisees' comment, his interaction with the Pharisees, is basically calling them out. He's basically saying, you guys scoff him. Because you read this parable and they scoff at Jesus for it. So you have to ask, why are they scoffing at him? Why are they laughing? Like, Jesus, you're ridiculous. It's because he's calling them out on saying, you don't understand what God is like. This is what God is like. He gives us his grace. He comes down to us to raise us up. He doesn't use his grace to push us down and raise himself up. And so when he says, verse 18, the whole comment on marriage, that's more of a picture, if you can imagine in your mind an iconic like mic drop moment. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, you guys don't even understand who God is because you divorce and remarry so quickly that it's like proverbial in the ancient world of serial marriages. And you don't even understand God's value for marriage. And you're going to scoff at me for talking about the nature of grace and God's kingdom. You can't even get God right. So why are you scoffing at me for talking about grace? He's calling them out on their own hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, you guys, when we look at religious people and we're like, what's going on here? Like, you guys talk about love and you hate other people? It's similar to that. Jesus is calling them out on this old, old law about marriage. And so it's not, just to, to clarify, this is not saying, like, you should never divorce and you should never get remarried. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is this law is so old, the value of marriage is so old, that you guys can't even keep that straight. So why are you talking about, like, scoffing at me for talking about the nature of grace? Is this making any more sense? Or are we... Nick? Yes? No? You say Jacob back up. You have a lot of thoughts? You can? Okay. I'm just making sure we're making sense because it, it feels tricky, but what Jesus is saying is God's unending grace is so contrary to the way we think that if we scoff at saying everybody and all people can and should receive the grace of God, and you should want it. And then somehow kind of scoff at that, like, they, 
you know what they're like, then you haven't understood grace. Grace is God's merciful presence to make all people new in Him. And if we treat it like it's a power structure to be abused and manipulated, we have misunderstood what grace is about. I think in the background of what Jesus is doing here, back in John, or I'm sorry, in Luke 6, he does his sermon, uh, Sermon on the Mount, similar to that. Can we go over to Luke 6? This is where Jesus is saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in Luke 6, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good, do good for those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Now, that should feel like very similar to what we just talked about in the parable, right? The dishonest manager cuts a deal with people and he expects to get back from them. And Jesus is saying, so learn from him in the sense of urgency for your, for your life. But he's not commending us to become manipulators of other people. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High God. Remember how Jesus says, be sons of light, sons and daughters of light. That's you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. In verse 16, we have this phrase, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, for everyone forces his way into it. I, I don't think that that's a great translation of it. I think of the CSB, which is a, another contemporary translation, translates it along the lines. Do we have that verse? I know it's early in the slides. I apologize. Can we put that up there? It's up in the top of the deck. Luke 16. No. No. We're losing our... We're losing. And this is not his fault, it's my fault. There we go. The good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. Right? The, the, the taking it by force just kind of gives a weird framing of it. The invitation of grace is this urgency to experience God's goodness and mercy for us. Right? We need it. The, the same way that the dishonest manager said, I need, to, I need to provide for myself. I need, I need something to, to provide for me. The urgency of the kingdom is to say, you need grace. You need God's grace and his mercy. You need it the way we desperately need to find a job to pay our bills. You depend on it. And you can't manipulate something that you depend on. Right? That, that's basically what Jesus is going after here, is you can't be a Pharisee and manipulate this grace when you're just so desperate for it. And the religious people of the time and missed it. Grace is effectively a one-way street of kindness towards us from God. We depend on it. So when we look at the dishonest manager, 
the, the lesson to learn is I need God's grace. I need His kindness. I need myself to be in a context where I depend on Him. And then for me and how I treat other people around me, when I see their need, when I hear their needs, it must be a one-way street of compassion towards them. We cannot treat other people as though, well, I gave you stuff. Where's the kickback? That, that means that we've missed the nature of what grace is. I've been kind to you. You owe me. I've been good to you. You, you should be doing some favors for me. God is always a one-way street of unending and undeserved grace towards us. And Jesus is then looking at us with the dishonest manager and saying, will you be like him? Receiving this urgency of grace and responding with compassion in one-way street of kindness to others. Now, if you have questions about that, let's talk about it. I want to step back and just kind of observe what Jesus is doing here as a way to kind of train us, do something similar with what he's doing here. Just, I guess I want to call this verse 8 and 9, watching the world for grace. It's fascinating to me what Jesus does here. Is he tells us a story full of dirt bags and says, learn from them. <laughs> that's kind of a crazy way to do... I mean, that's not um, a... If you grew up in a religious context, there's a sense in which uh, that's not church-approved. I've had people, I remember a friend of mine once asking, isn't Ocean's Eleven about people who steal stuff? As though, like, that was bad to watch a movie about, like, have you ever read the Bible? It's a bunch of people doing terrible stuff, too. The idea here is that Jesus tells a story, an artistic story, you might say, that has within it terrible people and likable terrible people doing terrible things and says, now learn from them. I mean, this is, this is in a sense, an invitation to view the world around us as a, a grace is so saturated through this world that we can even watch terrible people do terrible things and like them while not liking the terrible things that they do. I mean, this is why Breaking Bad is one of the most enduring and beloved shows of all time, right? This is, I lo- there's all these shows that we all like. If we were to kind of break it down, it's kind of like... I love the Marvel movies, you know, but like Ant-Man should not be stealing stuff, <laughs> right? Or Tony Stark, he should maybe get a little bit of some humble pie because he's an arrogant jerk a lot of the time. And yet there's things going on within them where Jesus is inviting us to watch the world and say, effectively play act live out through these characters this artistic work that you're observing live out where do you find your discipleship being provoked and challenged i mean are you as, it it's not trying to shame us but it is a sense of like when you watch walter white break bad do you hmm i wonder if there's ways that i can learn maybe a sense of urgency for my own self-preservation and learning to depend on grace the way he is, whatever. 
and maybe I need to do some self-reflection so that I don't follow the same path. <laughs> you know, those sorts of things. But Jesus is saying, look, you can tell a story from the lips of Jesus himself that is not, quote, church approved, and yet find within it encouragement and lessons and ways to view your own discipleship that strengthen you to do what Jesus is calling us to here. To depend, yearn, rely on his kindness towards you. It's a, Jesus is brilliant, I just have to say. Not only does he tell us a story that calls us into depending on grace, but then he gives us a model to say, art is here to delight you, yes. But there's also an invitation here in appropriate ways. How can you find some strengthening and challenging and encouragement for your own walk with God? I think this passage is ultimately calling us to learn from grace in the world to help us grow as children of light. To be a child of light is quite simply just depend and yearn for God's goodness to you. And as you see those in need around us, to be eager to give that grace away as a one-way street. Let's pray. God, as we've considered this passage, as difficult as it is to navigate, would we be people who see your kindness and don't find ways to manipulate others with it, but just simply to receive because you are happy to love us, happy about us, and happy to save us in Jesus. Such so in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.